0: Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology, and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Okasanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis, and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya.
1: Hello, and welcome to Retirementals. I'm Abraham Okasanya, and great to be on the podcast today. And oh boy, we have um, a packed show and discussion today. My guest today will be known to many, many of you, if not all. Brett Davidson is the founder and CEO of FP Advance, is a top... 50 most influential people in financial planning in in the UK, uh, according to FT Advisor, is a prolific writer, speaker, and and an advisor to financial advisor. Brett, welcome to Retirementals. Yeah, great to be
2: here, Abraham. Thanks for having me on.
1: So you've just published a, a fantastic paper titled, What's next for financial planning in the UK, and we're gonna we're gonna dive into that. But I want to grab a few quotes, um, you know, from the paper before we go on. You open the paper by saying, "I am worried that with the pace of technological change, that our cushy, beautiful business model might get disrupted before it's ever achieved the height." that we all want to see it hit powerful stuff give us a background to uh you know why you wrote the paper
2: yeah look i i've been uh in, you know in my role as someone who's working with loads of different firms you know i'm talking to lots of people uh i've been getting over to conferences in the u.s and you know i'm just trying to always be thinking like what's what's coming down the pipe now you know, most of the time the answer is i haven't got a clue like everyone else we're all doing our best but um i i dived into i was familiar with the innovators Dile- dilemma clayton christensen's work you know I, I like every book i read i look at when it was written it was written in the late 90s i'm going like as usual i'm really late to the party on this but it's still it's <laughs> still, still a great idea but I've been flirting with this one for five years and this this paper really is just, I felt it was the right time to get this out into the main market. I've been talking with some of the, you know, the top firms about this idea for a little while. Um, you know, just as you do, you bounce these things around and they start to take shape in your head. But I wanted to get it down in a coherent and accessible way for all financial planning business owners because I'm really starting to see that some of the things i was uh you know concerned about or worried about starting to take shape in the marketplace and i don't want financial planners who i love to be the last to get to know this stuff and to be thinking about these issues you know i don't think we're facing a cliff edge next thursday but i really do think you know the sooner we can be thinking about what's coming next and how might we respond the better. And, and the example, Abraham, I use is when I got here in 2004 from Australia, financial planners were a relatively small community in the IFP. Uh, and they were doing this new thing called financial planning. And everyone thought they were nuts, right? Why are you doing that? Well, you don't need to do that. And they did it early. And it set them up for the last 20 years of success. And I would like the people who are still going and want to continue to go to be doing the same thing yeah it's going to feel a bit nuts it's going to feel a bit crazy but we've got to be starting to ask ourselves some some challenging questions that's why i wrote the paper
1: it, it's a powerful paper and coincidentally i've been thinking a lot about you know the direction of travel in terms of the ifa word i bought christensen book <laughs> a few days before yours landed i did not read it right i still haven't read through it and um and and I saw your paper and it was so, so, uh, you know, powerful. I guess, let, let's break this down a little bit. So you cited, um, you know, that book, the, the Innovator's Dilemma, and you cited an example of um, Toyota, for instance. Talk us, to, give us the, the sort of the high level view of, you know, what how does disruption take place um in in an industry
2: yeah so so let let me let me try and not use toyota as the example because it's in the paper and people can read it and i think i think when i use the car industry people going oh yeah but that's the car industry and it took 50 years i don't want people to go well it's going to take 50 years for us we're in a completely (laughs) different space it could take three right so we have to be really careful about that but um I think of Christensen famously went and did a presentation to Andy Grove and the team at Intel, and he wrote wrote an article about it, and he gets there, he's flown in. They've paid him probably a fortune to be there because he's he's this famous guy. And then they say, sorry, mate, we're running over time. And they say, look, you've got 20 minutes. And he says to himself, like, what do I do? If I just tell them what I know, nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to change. So he stuck to his guns and really went through his presentation, which was posing a lot of questions. They were trying to tap the watch going, hurry up, mate, like you got 20 minutes, we've got shit to do. But uh, apparently it really landed with Andy Grove and his team. And they made the decision then to go back down market in the chip market, make a basic chip, and work their way back up. That's how they became number one Intel as, as a chip maker. And this is, this is, I guess, the innovators dilemma that it makes no sense right? And when I'm talking to advisors going, hey, I know your financial planning business is killing it. You own the space with retired clients who've got all the money. I'll tell you what, give that up and go and work with people who've got no money and are actually not interested in financial planning. Do that. That'll be great. And they're all looking at me, what are you talking about? This is the whole point. It doesn't make any sense. And, and yet, if we don't do that, if we don't disrupt ourselves, someone else, there's plenty of people lining up to come in and do that, um, and this was the scary stat when you read the book. Um, in the industries, the the, the the companies, the industries that got disrupted, the last three years of their existence were their most profitable ever, hmm. right? So they didn't go out of business in slow decline, seeing it coming 20 years in advance. They were at their peak on fire. And all of a sudden the exponential nature of disruption just catches up with them and, and they're in trouble. So. You know, that's, that's why I just want to, I want people to read the paper. Okay, I think lots of people have come to the conversations with me not having read the paper because they're asking me right. sort of questions that say, I haven't made that connection, but go and read the book. It's three hours in the bath, right? You'd be wrinkly at the end, but you can knock it over in three or four hours. It's not a long read, but it just takes you through then the whole raison d'etre of how he got there and the studies he did and how he's seen it apply across different industries.
1: It would be easier, by the way, if there's an audio version of that book. I can't find it anywhere, so if anyone can, <laughs> um, that that would be really helpful. So, so the the point you made in the book is that um, you know financial planning. We we serve you know top five, maybe ten percent of wealth um, in in this country. So we ignore ninety percent of people, and that the way innovation happens is that inferior products, uh, you know, cheap, uh, lower cost products, you know, come in and they start essentially, um, you know, addressing and serving that market that is neglected and forgotten by, you know, but but that's been forgotten by our profession. And you cited RoboAdvice as an example of that. But many advisors will probably be sitting here thinking, well, you know, robo advice has now been around for 10 years. Uh, you know, in the US, where they're more prominent, they haven't, um, you know, displaced financial advice meaningfully. So, Brett, what are you talking about? What is this stress? Uh, you know, uh, is, is there anything that we can see, you know, potentially that is a se- serious stress to, to the business model right now?
2: yeah so so I, i'm i'm loath to to name some of those things because you know i've got no more insight than you if i knew what was going to happen i'd tell you and then we could all we could all react appropriately but it's not quite that straightforward but i sort of wish i hadn't mentioned robo advice in the paper because i think the consensus is in the us and probably here that pure robo isn't going to be that disruption okay now i i we might be wrong. Maybe there's more to run. But what I am seeing is what what people here are calling hybrid advice, a mix of human and robo. In the US, Bob Veris calls it cyborg advice. Okay, and that, mm-hmm. that exists already over there. That's a mature model. Um, you know, I think that's the future. And if you if you look at the big brands who've bought tech companies in the last 12 months there's a list every month Uh, rob kingsbury who who hosted our uh, launch of this paper listed for me all the purchases that have that have gone on you know the big brands are making moves into this space only on saturday in the ft money section i saw andy bell from aj bell saying that they're building uh, uh an app and and an offering for this millennial Gen Z group. It's gonna disrupt their own existing trading platform which costs money. The analysts on the call said, uh, apparently their share price dropped 8% after he announced all this because the analysts are going, Andy, you're gonna cannibalize your own business. And he said, better that we disrupt ourselves than (laughs) someone else. The analysts are wrong he's right right in my opinion and uh but this is the common mistake isn't it? everyone goes oh don't do that that's going to disrupt what you're doing Go, well yeah that's the whole point if i don't do it someone else is coming to do that so yeah that's 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 the message i'm trying to get across
1: this is interesting and i guess the point you're making is to say it is lazy thinking in my view to assume that just because robo advice in, in the first version, it version 1.0, as in disrupted financial planning meaningfully, then it can't do that. that. That's the whole essence of innovation or disruption that the people who are involved, right, they can't see the what is the thing they 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 say you know you can't see the outside of a tin you're in right you know the people who are in the industry they disregard and they you know the the right of um, this innovation and what i see though is the likes of vanguard taking robo 1.0 taking that technology and then building um you know what you might call version 2.2 two, sorry 2.0 where they put advice and sorry they put technology at the center of what they do and they hire cfps and they open offices you know up and down the country they're doing that in the us less so in the uk you know could that be the, the disruption that we're talking about um you know for for financial planning
2: yeah i, I think certainly it could be i mean when 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 we rattle off the other brands and the tech companies they've bought one, I don't know any of the tech companies, maybe you do cause you're more in the space, but the average advisor's going to go, oh, I've never heard of any of these small tech plays they've bought. But when I hear Vanguard is getting into this space and doing that. Yeah. Like, like a slight chill goes down my spine. They're a credible player who've already disrupted one industry, Uh, and are completely customer focused and can deliver this at scale for so cheap, it's it's not real. And so, yeah, I, I don't know how as an advisor owner, I could sit there and think that this might not be a threat. Like, I don't know if they will succeed. Maybe they'll just carve out a space and we'll all be as happy as Larry coexisting in 20 years. It's possible. But I couldn't let myself sit there and think that thought if that thought came into my head, I'm gonna banish it in a jiffy, you know as a business owner, I can't think like that yeah it's just it's just it's just mad
1: so a lot of uh financial planning businesses are you know, small, independent lifestyle businesses. And and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. That's a brilliant, beautiful thing. And, um, you know, you, you can make a decent living, you know, you can turn over half a million pounds, be at the top of your profession with two, three people within the business. I guess the question is, what should we be do- doing differently than than we're doing right now? Um, you know, we haven't got, you know, millions of money to buy, um, you know, robo or disruptive technology. What should we be doing to defend, um, you know, or expand the, the, the business uh, that we currently have?
2: Yeah, so so I think the answer to this, Abraham, is really nuanced. And I cover this in the paper. I just think there are three different strategies. If you're a small lifestyle firm and that's what you want to stay as and you're happy doing that, I think that's great. I don't think there's really anything to see here. Like small businesses, like small accountants still exist. Small lawyers still exist. Uh, the small space is fine. The big space is fine it's the middle space that gets difficult now I'm thinking then there's a lot of advisors though I think I think in the lifestyle camp I'll split them into two there's people who are a lifestyle business by choice okay and there are people like that and bless them that's great there's lifestyle businesses who I say I'm a lifestyle business what they really mean is I'm stuck and I don't know how to get any further. And you know, mm. I, I often end up working with a lot of those to get them unstuck and move them on. Now, if we go from half a million to a million, you, know, you get to a million, you're not stopping at a million, you'll probably be on to two and three million and eventually four and five million of revenue. Now you're starting to get into that more difficult space. And so I split my advice in there in the strategies that you could pursue you know, small firms who are just discovering financial planning or getting their business right, that's all you should focus on. You don't need to worry about this for now. You can come and read this again in four years' time when you've got your, you know, things moving on. But it's the bigger firms. And I'm thinking here, you know, firms that are two and, a half, three million plus, and we know plenty of these good people, you know, they I think they need to be making some moves and starting to think about how do we go back down market? How do we work with this next generation? It's a completely different model the model we've built for financial planning for our retirement is great but doesn't work for the the Gen Z or, or millennial generations particularly uh, and we've got to ha- we've got to think differently it's going to be i think a hybrid model a blend of tech and human i'm already talking to some advisors who are making some moves in those spaces um but it's early days here i think you know i and look i'm not well connected here there might be people listening going brett we've been doing that for 5 years mate ring me and let's have a chat but but you know i don't know everyone that's doing it but i am talking to some players that i've known who are starting to think you know what we're going to make some moves in that space and i think you have to if you want to be relevant in 10 15 20 years time
1: now a word from our sponsor nikki hitting jones is the managing director and the chief investment officer at Betafolio, the high-tech low-cost discretionary model portfolio manager Typical model portfolio service costs about 36 basis points. That's in addition to the funds, the platform, you know, the advice fees. Tell us a bit about Betafolio's view and approach on fees.
0: Well, I don't think anyone that knows us already, Abraham would be surprised to hear me say that in a nutshell, NPS fees are too high. Um, If you include the fund charges and the platform fee that you already talked about, we get close to 1%, I think, on average, for a lot of retail clients. And that's before they start paying for the financial plan, which is the part of the service that will ultimately add the most value for them in their advisor relationship and experience. Um, So, I mean, my view on fees, and Bitfolio's view on fees, is that they have a real impact on client outcomes that needs attention. Um, and that's why we're building a scalable solution with technology that will allow us to keep costs low. And I think we also should consider the impact of these fees on advisors' businesses too. Advisors need to, to make a profit from, from their work. They need to have a viable business. And their cost bases have been rising because of regulation and the, the more cost they have to pass through to their clients for overcomplicated services in in turn puts pressure on the advisor's own fees and and ultimately makes it not possible for them to to run a, a good business so fees are really crucial um and i'm really happy that we're in a position to be having a positive influence on the the trends in the market
1: good stuff thank you nikki so you've um, you know, worked with a lot of uh, sort of, uh, you know, successful financial planning businesses. How would you sum up, um, you know, what it takes for firms to go from, um, you know, a couple of hundred thousand to, to a million? What is it that distinguish firms who make this leap from those that don't?
2: Yeah, it's, 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 Again, there's, I guess there's a bit to it, but I'm going to sum it up. It's about um, learning some business management skills, okay? And we're talking basics here. This is stuff any business owner can learn. It's not complicated. You know, do we have a, a meeting flow? You know, are we annual planning, quarterly goal setting, checking in, weekly meetings to solve problems, simple stuff. You know, are we able to build a team around us? Building your team is the number one thing you're going to have to get right if you're going to go from 200 to a million. Um, You know, it's the number one thing you're going to have to get right if you want to be a great lifestyle business. Okay, you can't not have a team and be a lifestyle business. There is no lifestyle if you're doing it all yourself. Um, So getting your team right is is the key core skill for, for absolutely all of us. And I know... At FP Advanced at the moment, we're blessed with a magnificent team, best I've ever worked with. And, you know, at the moment, life's really great. Um, I've been through the phases where it wasn't that or you've got a wrong person or two on board. And and it just, it's like trying to run with a truck tyre tied around your waist. It just, you may as well just stand still till you cut the truck tyre off, which is sort out your team. And then you can sprint, right? It's like, like your new lease on life. So... That's the key for, for growth. Now, once you've got to a million, the key to get to two and three and five and 10 is also people. Like it's also building you know, team, process, and tech. It's that right blend, but people are going to be at the heart of that. You know, we're still a people business.
1: So I'm going to go down the rabbit hole. You know, someone who's, say, turning over a quarter of a million pounds, um, you know, they have one um, admin or paraplanner who works with them what what do they need to be thinking about in terms of the team right who who's the next in that level and you know take us through that journey to when you get to a million who who will be the sort of the core you know five six people that you need within the business um to, to do that
2: yeah so i think the first question before all that is what are we what do i want to be what do I want this right. business to be? Because again, if you just want to get to 400,000 and stop, that looks very different to if I want to go to a million and then, and then beyond that, I want to hit a million pounds with a great structure in place so I can carry on, which is absolutely doable. But I think, I think look, early on in that under, under half a million, you've got to get good administrators, para planners, whatever in place. They can be outsourced today. I've got quite a few businesses who were at five, six, 700,000 with an outsourced team. Our team is outsourced at FP Advance, including our operations manager. Uh, so that, that works just fine. But it's getting those uh, admin and power planning support in place so that you can focus on the high value, which is really rainmaking and seeing clients. At some point, if we're looking to build a bigger business and keep going, at some point, relatively early in that journey, way earlier than people think, you need a practice manager. You need someone who's going to be the business manager, so you can be the strategist, the rainmaker, and the main advisor for quite a long time. Um, and they will then be able to take on recruitment, HR, IT, compliance, marketing, all those things. They don't have to be experts in that stuff, but they're going to be the person that project manages those things for you, with a bit of your input. You know, obviously because it's your business uh, along the way. But but getting that that the key hire on that journey, is the practice management higher?
1: Yeah, no, I think you make an important point about the, the outsourcing side of things. You know, um, w- one of the things we see is firms, you know, who are very small and and they do too much, right? In terms of the, you know, there's the reports and power planning, there's the investment management, you know, it, it's a lot for a small firm to, to do. So, you know, outsourcing, or indeed, You know, if you want to build a team internally around it is is, uh, important. One of the things that um, I was having a conversation with Tina weeks recently, one of the things that's been on my mind is this thing that, uh, you know, financial planning just doesn't scale very well, you know. So, again, correct my ignorance, you know, there are many... Um, you know, ten million plus type financial planning firms out there. Do you have a view on why? First of all, before I go to my next question, why? why? I mean, why?
2: Yeah, I think I, I'm. I'm gonna. I don't even know if this is true. My gut feel is because we're still. Pretty early in the move to being a profession, like like accounting and law are old. Uh, they've sort right. of cracked a lot. Of, now there's no reason why we couldn't be copying that. You know, I look at big consulting firms like McKinsey or whatever. You know, they they've scaled a, a people business and I, a, an intellectual property business. Um, I don't think there's any reason why they can't scale. Um, you know, I think players like you know your Paradigm, Norton's, your Carbons, your Cooper Parry's. You know, they're they're well down the path. And have the management capability to continue to push on and maybe another 10 years they go from 10 to 35 million or 50 million I, you know i don't know what's mm. possible for them or what their ambition is but i think it's absolutely uh i do believe it's possible and with the world changing and tech allowing us to leverage the human uh, you know maybe it's becoming even more possible but we're still early early in that development so i'm I'm in the optimistic camp that this is there's no reason why this couldn't be done but I accept we haven't really seen it done particularly well I don't think so far
1: So then we have all these sort of large um you alluded to earlier on asset manage, managers um you know coming into financial planning and one of the things I see done for instance is that they push down the cost of advice within the so their vertically integrated model they push down the cost of advice to something like say 50 basis points they keep the platform where about it currently and then the investment management is so big and i'm looking at that thinking all right the total cost will add up to say 2% but advice is only 50 basis points and i'm thinking to my head you know Think of a a potential client, right? Who looks at that and says, "Well, Schroeder sh- charges, I think it's thirty basis points or something like, maybe fifty for advice." You as an advisor, you're going to charge me one percent. How does a small independent financial planner undo that conversation? Surely the answer is not, "I am b- better than Schroeder's."
2: Yeah, so so. why this is a tough conversation for people to have to you and I as industry insiders and for most financial planners it's a no fucking brainer right like like they've loaded the investment piece and they've they've deloaded its distribution right those advisors are just selling their shit that's all they're doing okay (laughs) great advisor may well charge a much higher fee than the the examples we've used but then they're going to fight to get A cheaper platform cost and we know we can buy the investment piece for like what 15 bips or whatever the vanguard type approach you know we're going to probably deliver it all for a lot less and focus on where the real value is added i think that's actually quite an easy conversation to have with the client not that easy when we start trying to explain percentages and bips we could lose people that's where you have to be careful but in principle once the client an educated client once they understand that mate i think i think that's a no-brainer So I I don't actually fear that. I I, I just don't like the vertically integrated model. It's not client friendly. I understand it might be a great way to make 100 million, but I I think, you know, as advisors, we can build amazing scaled great businesses that that deliver for the client and just change all those, those metrics.
1: I totally, totally agree. And then you you have this thing the middle so you 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 talked about firms who are you know say for lack of a different metrics you know t- you know 10 million plus revenue and they're going on to great things and then firms who are starting out right from the start and i want to get to you know a million two million and then you get all these people in the middle the, the question you know from say you know a million, two million, all, all the way to to say five, ten, uh, and the, the question to my mind is then, what becomes of these business you, you, these businesses? A typical financial planner is in their you know in their fifties. You know, how do we need to start thinking about the future of you know this financial planning uh, movement um, in terms of the business structure? you know, a a a decade from now.
2: Yeah, I think firms are approaching it different ways. You know, let's get real. A lot of those 50 year old owners of those businesses are just gonna sell it to someone, uh, you know, and and whether that's an appropriate, I, I don't mean appropriate, they can sell it to whoever they want. I'm not judging them in any way, but whether that's appropriate for the clients, whether that's the best outcome for the clients, that's another question. Uh, firms like Paradigm, Norton clearly have, have made the decision to do the employee ownership model uh, to try and provide that continuity. Um, you know, maybe there'll be a lot of you know merger and acquisition in that space. You know, a lot of five million firms maybe joining to become more scalable entities. You know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, merger and acquisition isn't always the path to uh, to fun and glory either. So it's it's tricky, isn't it? And and I think it's going to come down to the quality of the management and leadership of these firms. And that means building and developing these second and third generation leaders. And what I'm meeting in the industry, which fills me with a huge uh, optimism, is the quality of the younger people who are coming into some of the firms I'm working with. And in the smaller firms, there's a lot of succession planning going on uh, where they realize I don't wanna sell to a consolidator. you know, that that makes me think if we can get the businesses into the hands of the next generation, you know, they're hungry, ambitious and got 25, 30 years still to run. They're not going to be looking to sell out three years later. Uh, they're going to have to crack some of these issues that perhaps we've made some progress on, but but perhaps haven't cracked fully. And and you know, I'm excited to see what happens.
1: Yes, I mean, I think you'll you spot on there. The likes of Prada and they they've made acquisitions of, you know, I don't know what you're going to call it, you know, I, they, they bought out, you know, advisors who are aligned in terms of financial planning and investment, you know, investment ethos, and then who, who maybe are looking to, it's the wrong word, to retire or to exit the business at some point. And they've done a, a good job, uh, you know, around that, you know, my, my only thinking is that we need 50 Paradigm Naughtons, not uh you know uh, you know five or ten types of firms in that level um, that that we see today um you you talked about this next generation of people who are coming into financial planning, and I'm always very excited you know when I see people come into the into the wider profession, not just financial planning um, the 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 one of the ideas that you put across in the paper is you know this idea to say well give some money uh your startup capital to these people within financial planning businesses for them to come up with a business model to serve their peers. i was reading that thinking uh this is interesting and dangerous um and the idea is uh you know that gen x gen y people are the best ones to come up with a model a business model for, for themselves how are you thinking about this as as um, you know as an experiment
2: yeah so again it's we, we outlined just in the paper you know clayton christensen's model for this right so there's the four steps and you can read those in there but you've got to be got to be trying to take that outside the main business Okay, you can't do it in house because it's always going to be a blip on the balance sheet. So it's never going to get the time. You know, I talked about, yeah, grabbing a few. If I'm, you know, I'm going to use Paranoid Norton as an example. I'll catch up with Barry Horner tonight. I've told him this before. <laughs> he may or may not think this is a good idea, right? So I'm not trying to tell him how to <laughs> suck eggs. But getting yeah. it, he's got, got some great people in there. Get three or four of your best and brightest and set them up down the road with a little bit of capital to, you know, get them going. Um, to to build this subversive disruptive business model, it is dangerous. Let's let them rip, let's let it be dangerous and and let's embrace that. You know, another firm I spoke to who potentially could do that, uh, the owner said to me, Brett, that's gonna cost me, you know, 250 grand a year or whatever. And I'm thinking, well, great, ring Barry Horner and do it together. And it's only gonna cost you 125, bring Stephen Jones. Now it's only gonna cost you 80,000. And they'll probably wash their face within 18 months so so i don't think it is going to cost a lot to go and run that experiment and to see what happens but i think again because we're the small boutique businesses competing against much bigger well-funded brands investment managers you know old school even uh you know sales models are better funded than a lot of us know, yeah, we might have to do some of that you know we've we've been in an industry that's been open we've shared our best ideas with each other um you know why not go and do something like that jointly uh, and run some experiments let 's run multiple experiments and let 's see what we learn um, and yeah let 's make it a bit subversive i 'm all for that
1: yeah it's it 's a very very tough and difficult one you know one one of the experiments that I have seen out there is a farm called ela you might, Ella you might have come across them it 's essentially emery little uh you know joe little um it's part of the business, which is actually, uh, you know, a, a family business. Um, and then essentially they, they, they set up, um, you know, an initiative, you know, Joe and, and um, Alfie and um, Alfie set up, you know, and I don't know, I haven't followed it in a, in a uh, big, way. I should probably get them on the podcast to talk about how, how that type of initiative um, has worked out. My, my sense is that, Unless you do it the way that you're talking about, which is resource it, give it the money, uh, and again, I guess we can learn from what AJ Bell's doing as well. Essentially, you know, uh, creating a, a mini app or business within their business to disrupt them. You know, I worry that the culture uh, the culture clash between the old and the new is just going to become too much to bear you know uh, startups are run in a very very different way than traditional financial planning business it's about <laughs> it's about you know trying to prove the model experimenting losing god knows a, a lot of money versus financial planning business which is about you know delivering service proven and 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 profitable so um no it, it would be very very interesting i'll, I'll be interested to see um if anyone takes you up on, on that challenge
2: yeah and interestingly look i've had emails from people since the launch of the white paper i've had a couple of phone calls there's definitely people out there starting to think some are starting to make some moves who've been thinking about it for quite a long time so uh, there's definitely moves in this in the space Um, You know, there's a lot more of this obviously going on, has gone on in the US. It's, 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 you know, I'm thinking they're at least five years ahead of where we are, uh, you know, in terms of that innovation piece. There's a lot more, you know, there's a lot of bigger businesses there. The businesses you're wishing for exist in America and they're just ahead of the game. Like, give us another five years or so, uh, we may well be doing the same things. It's just a more dynamic uh, competitive market there. Um, But, yeah, Yeah. I, I, I think there's... There's moves being made for sure here. I can see that.
1: Good stuff. Um, so let's let's come back home. It's good to sort of think about the future and all this stuff. So let's let's suppose I give you a <laughs> hundred thousand pounds today to start a new financial planning business. Uh, what would it look like?
2: Yeah. Look, it's it's a great question. Um, it's probably unanswerable, but let's have a go, right? It's a bit of fun. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and uh, I'm going to go out and start talking to a bunch of like 30 to 40-year-old people and I'm going yeah. to sit down and listen. I'm going to sit down and listen. I'm going to buy, of my 100 grand, I'm going to spend about five grand on lunches for the first six months just talking to people, going, mate, how are you feeling? What's on your mind? How are you seeing the world? What do you want to do? how can i help on that journey that's what i'm going to be looking for because i think that generation of people are facing a completely different environment to what i grew up in you know i'm 54 it was just different when i was 30 years old and i need, I, if i'm going to succeed in that space going to have to understand that uh, and so that's the first step once i've done that i think the way i'm looking at it at the moment and and again i'm speculating here abraham so forgive me if this doesn't play out but I'm thinking i've just spent 30 years of my life trying to convince clients that the only way to do this is to look at everything the holistic approach okay i came though remember out of an industry where they didn't do any of that they just sold a thing a thing to a person and then said yeah we'll sell them something else three years later there was no holistic whatsoever so i've spent my whole career thinking that way i think now as financial planners we have to disaggregate financial planning and break it back down into these useful component parts and then ask these people, which of these do you need right now? Which of these might help you? And and that's one way to make this more accessible, then that can be very cost effective because I'm not having to do the two grand or three grand planning job, which is you know not gonna work in that space. Um, and I think also the other thing I've heard in presentations and research is that that generation of people Not only do they buy differently, so we're going to have to be in tune with that, but they want to know what I know. Like they want to learn, they want help and education. And so I'm going to be heavily focused on free, some paid for, you know, maybe it's subscription, maybe it's hourly rate. Um, In fact, I've I've got a book just been sent to me by by Matthew Jackson, who wrote another great paper that I referenced in my white paper. He's written a book with a, a, an hourly rate planner in the, in the U.S. called Mark Berg. The book's called A Matter of Time. It's all about how you run an hourly rate business model. Now, again, I said to Matthew on a call, mate, I've just spent 30 years going, no, never, never hourly rate, right? I'm not doing that. That's what accountants and lawyers do, and I hate that business model. And I've read the manuscript before this got published And I'm going, mate, I so get it. This is brilliant, right? And if I'm starting in that market space, hourly rate might be a model. And I'm I'm just so I'm I'm really going to be approaching this 180 degrees different to the way I'm approaching my at retirement financial planning style business that I've been, you know, I've been a fan of for so long.
1: It's incredible. Thank you for that, Brett. And there is a lot that I, you know, that there's a lot that resonate with me there that I agree with. Um, I know uh, Pete Matthews is trying to do this while keeping his, um, you know, wealth management business. You know, lead with education podcast, and then created a group um, and all that stuff. Um, my again, I'm I'm guessing here. My sense is again you you're, you're off from between the two right you know you still have the it's the wrong term the gravy train um um of financial planning tested proving generating income all that stuff and to try to get this thing off the ground um that is um advising the next generation is is incredibly um you know challenging but could be massively profitable you know when i look at my life you know i'm I'm turning 40 you know um you know next year (laughs) at some point i forget and if i just look at what's happened over the last decade over you know from that age 30 to 40 you know there were for the vast majority of that period I couldn't afford advice, and I, I, I'm not even sure I still can in the in the sort of the the model that we have. Yet there's been a not not that I haven't bought financial products, obviously insurance, investment, all those things, um, you know. But there to, to think that there isn't um, a model out there, you know, retainer fee based or whatever that can meet me at a different point, there are, there, there are times that the conversation is nothing to do with investment. It's just about envisioning and all that stuff. So there are times where it's just aligning the misses to the plan. Of course, insurance, um, investment, pension, all these things. And to think that even here in the UK, I know, some, you know many financial planners will say, we do this, we can do this. But I cannot think of a name that I go to, uh, or a website that I go to, that I can click a button and sign up for, uh, uh, you know, a, a financial planning relationship on a retainer basis, um, or something like that. And it would be interesting to see if uh, if somebody comes in and and takes you up on that idea.
2: Yeah, no, I I think you're right, and I think. I can think of like one or two that might be a bit like that. But again, you know, if you remember that guy on BBC Question Time who swore he was only in the top 50% of income earners, but he's really in the top 5%. Most of the models I'm seeing are saying, yeah, we're going to work with these people as long as they earn 150 grand a year, then, you know, I'm going, well, right, mate, that's right. that's not exactly what I've got in mind here. So, so um, I, I think there's a lot more work to be done on that. And as you say, getting that, away from the main cash cow business and pete matthew's a great example i've always joked i want to be pete matthew's manager right i just think (laughs) i I think i could turn that man into a global brand i just think he's fantastic uh so so i i think he's i know he's making some moves at the moment and i think when he gets that core business you know squared away he's got this beautiful brand that can go and talk to the public and I, i think that can be anything i still have high hopes for Pete, I really do.
1: So do I, he's incredible, he's incredible. Yeah. So let, let's talk about, um, you know, how you work with firms, you got your um, UYBP programme, um, Unlock your... Your business potential program for for financial planners. Talk a little bit about how, how that works.
2: Yeah, so it's uncover your business potential. It's um it's a uh, a, a three year uh, program. I call it like an MBA for financial planners. And it's it's when it's for people who are uh, a bit hungry, a bit a bit ambitious, or a bit dissatisfied, and looking to learn the skills to manage and grow. Uh, a a great financial planning firm if you want to stay at 300 grand this is not for you if you want to grow on from there and hit a million and and lay the foundations to be able to go to two million and three million then this is this is the place Uh, and so we're just taking people on a journey where we meet once a quarter Uh, we're doing that over zoom uh, at the moment Uh, they get access to me in between as much as they want uh, literally. So if, you know, if we, we, we have as many calls as we need. So as they're executing on stuff we've taught them on the coaching day, if they hit any brick walls or say, well, how do I apply that to my business? Uh, we're just on the end of a phone to make all that work. And what what we have found, we've actually let go almost everything else we do. Uh, my final um, consulting clients would be winding up in the next few months. I haven't taken a new consulting client for five years um our online version of the program we've actually wound up as well so we can focus a hundred percent on uncover your business potential taught live with me we just we hired an ops manager in april she came on board and said what do you do i said, that we've got these programs one delivered online one one live with me and uh she said which one makes the biggest difference and i said oh oh don't ask me that it's clearly It's the live program. And we just said, she said, why are we doing this other thing? And I said, mate, I'd say the same thing to my clients. So we just shut it down and we're focused 100% on this. It's, It's the thing that's making the big transformation
1: wow it's incredible so so the online one was you could sign up and do all the training online on your own yeah it was of, like uh, self self-study
2: part. videos and again we provided right. access to me uh there was forum you could email me, you could have coaching calls even and we just found people didn't engage with it people didn't take me up on that i had a call once in a blue moon and i think clearly people find the self-study thing hard and i know it's hard uh, I just thought yeah, that I, I thought there might be a market for that. But I just don't think uh, there was the people that did engage with it. You know, we we had a decent membership there. Uh, lots of those people kindly have written to me and said, look, it's really made a difference. But we just saw, you know, this other place is the place where the big stuff is happening. And we're just going to double down on what we think we do best.
1: It's incredible. And then you, you're, you're winding down the consultancy sort of side of things as well what's going on there sounds to me like you're doing what you're you're talking about in that paper
2: yeah so so we we haven't as i said i haven't engaged with a new consulting client for five years i've had a bunch of people i've been working with throughout that period and and it's just some of them have wound up earlier this year the others i think will wind up in december or maybe as late as march but we're just at that place where you know we've, we've done as much as perhaps Brett Davidson can tell them, I always say consultants have got a, a use by date, right? You need to get rid of them and get another yeah. one who can take you to the next level. But, but it's just the right time. We we didn't fire any of those people. We just wanted that to be a natural. We get to a place where we thought, you know what, this is the time to, to part and whatever. Um, and so now, now I'm free to be spending lots of my time reading, researching, you know, uh, Talking to people like you, you know, bouncing off other people I know and respect, getting to the U.S., uh, talking to other consultants, uh, industry leaders. That's where I think the next decade, the next 20 years, uh, which I'm really excited about, that's where all the the fun stuff's going to come from is thinking about what's next, not what we've done.
1: Good, and, and the the primary source to to get that information is the the uncover your business potential program. And and if I remember correctly, the firm signs up, and as many people in the firm can participate in the program. Or am I wrong? That's
2: there? right. We charge per firm, not per delegate. So if there's two or three business owners, they could come. If you want to bring your practice manager, which you should, they can come. On the days we do selling skills, bring all your advisors. You know, it's it's that's how we how we work. We just think that that adds a lot more value. And look, the, the easiest way to tap into the stuff we're doing is get onto my newsletter. That's where all the my latest market intelligence comes out first. The people are on our list. Get onto the website. You can sign up there and you can get to know us a bit. You know, And if you like it, great. If you don't, unsubscribe, dead simple. But you'll get to know us, know what we're about. I think we add a lot of value there. We provide a lot of free information that's really high value
1: no brilliant stuff uh, brett thank you very much you know and, and i can tell you these things do make a difference i was talking to, to a financial planner last week who who said you know we started working with you know the, the, they started um the 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 uncover your business potential program i think two years ago or something and they said to, he said to me well we are approaching you know that one million pound uh, turnover mark and brett said to us once you've done the first million, these were his words. Once you've done the first million, the second million is much easier. So, uh, you know, Brett, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the incredible work, uh, you know, that you do in our space, and for helping power and uh, push the, the 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 generation of financial planning businesses forward. Thank you very much.
2: Thanks, Abraham. It's been a pleasure, and uh, thanks for inviting me on.
1: Remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much, guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline App, the retirement planning software, and Portfolio, the high-tech, low-cost, flat fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on Money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.